Yeah, I was just seeing what chords we need or don't need. So we'll go right from um, the chorus of this and just finish with that. Thank you. This is fabulous. That was a great idea. Um, yeah. Ready to start here in a little bit, but once again, I want to ask everybody to come forward. Come forward. We like it when we're, right, John? We like it when we're all from up here in the front. Um, I think the, the ones for tonight are on the back. There, were, there should be some for tonight in the very back if you don't have them. Oh, Ken ha okay, Ken's handing them out. Ken, we're asking about sheets. You handing them out to everybody? Two or however many. I'll have two, two, two also. Yeah. Thank you. Strange, strange things. <clears throat> when you almost die, it's amazing. It's amazing. I really can't wait to share the experience with you, but. Like really? When did you do that? Girls, you ready? I think we're going to go ahead and get started uh, tonight. Uh, this is the last evening uh, that we have with uh, John, and we're so grateful that he's here. And uh, as we get started, I want to read out of Second Peter uh, chapter one, uh, starting with verse. Boy, I need to get some new glasses. Verse three. Hopefully, I'll make it through there. Now, this is some. This is some powerful scripture. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us a very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, patience, and to patience, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, 
and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come here and as we prepare for this last session, once again we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, pleading that precious blood that was shed upon that cross for the forgiveness of our sins, for the security of our eternal salvation, and for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Dear Father, through that blood, we just welcome your Holy Spirit here. We pray that you would just fill this building with your presence. We pray that your spirit would just radiate from right here and that even those who are watching on television and on the internet, that they would feel the overwhelming love of your spirit and your direction. We thank you, Lord, that you have promised us that you have given us everything that we need to live for you and to understand the knowledge that comes through Jesus Christ, that we might grow, that we might become strong, that we might be healed, that we might find joy and peace, regardless of what it is that this world throws our way. We thank you for this night. We give it to you. We offer it unto you. And we pray that every word that was spoken, every word that is sung, even every word that is thought in the depths of our hearts, we offer it to you as a worship offering. May those thoughts and those words just come up to you and may you receive them and may they bring you glory and praise and honor and may you be pleased with them. And we just pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all of God's children said. We're going to start with the great hymn, In Christ Alone. So stand and join us as we begin our evening together with this. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, where fears are stilled when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ. I stand in Christ alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless babe this gift of love and righteousness Scorned by the ones he came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live
his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for i am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of christ no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of christ in me from life's first cry to final breath jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of christ i'll stand no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of christ i'll stand
I want to thank each of you for um, hosting us this week, uh, for the meals, uh, for the hospitality. Uh, our team has really appreciated it and we thank you very much for that. This being the final evening, I'm going to be sharing probably two of my favorite topics. The first one is on how do you resolve depression and the second is on emotional connection, emotional intimacy. Over the years, I've had a burden for the people that are depressed in churches, believers that are depressed. The church has basically relegated depressed people uh, to professionals. And while I was a pastor, I began to realize that professional counselors as a whole merely listen to a depressed person talk about their pain. There's no solution to a depressed person's problem. All you can do is listen as they share what they're struggling with. Obviously that doesn't help a person just to listen to their pain because a counselor ought to have some wisdom to know how to help a person come to freedom. But our major seminaries in the United States today um, are teaching that you can't help a person, all you can do is listen to them make them feel better, or medicate them. Now when people go to the doctor and they're depressed, the doctor has five minutes with each patient, and he has five minutes to diagnose and to determine what kind of medicine to put you on. And a lot of people are put on medication, don't belong on medication, they're emotionally damaged, and no one has taken the time to actually care about their heart. 
For the last 35 years, each morning when I get up, I pray, God, would you give me wisdom to know how to solve people's problems? I just want to know how to help them. And anytime I identify a problem, whether it's depression, anger, whatever it is, I keep tweaking my process until it works. And I've done that probably for the last uh, 25 years. Depression is an interesting problem. And one out of four people coming into my office is depressed over 80%. That's not the national average for Christians. Uh, that's just the problems coming in. About one out of four problems is depression. 90 to 95% of depression is caused by emotional pain. 5 to 10% of depression is caused by chemical imbalance. So if a person has a thyroid problem, they can become depressed because if you have your thyroid off, you can become depressed. Women who have babies often afterwards, six weeks after, have a period of depression. It's because their body can't adjust back to not being pregnant and they get postpartum depression. That's a chemical imbalance. When you have a chemical imbalance, five to 10% of depression, uh, you need to go to a doctor, get a blood test, find out what's wrong. On the other hand, 90 to 95% of depression is caused by emotional pain. And I'd like for you to take your sheet out with the angled line on it, because we're gonna talk about, in five simple steps, how the church could eradicate 90% of depression. Now I say the church because in order to help a person come to freedom, they have to be willing to pray and they have to be willing to follow you in prayer to resolve their pain. A person that chooses not to pray or chooses not to understand that God can heal their heart will not, never be free. So it has to be a person who's willing to allow you to lead them in a prayer. Now this method works for non-believers because if a non-believer is in my office and they're depressed at 95%, I share to them that the average person says you can't solve your depression. But if you follow me in a prayer, you lose 80% of your pain that creates your depression in one session. Are you interested? No one has ever said no to me, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian. The next day they come back and say, you're right. I not only lost 80% of my pain, I lost it all. What is this about praying to Jesus that changed me yesterday? And all of a sudden they're wanting to become a Christian because they realize the power that Jesus has to change the heart that was all messed up that they had. When we talk about depression, I often, and I, I'd like for you to come back with me, God never created a person to be depressed. God doesn't create a child to be depressed and they're depressed the rest of their lives. A person is depressed because of circumstances that they've experienced, 95%. And the rest of the message, if you don't mind, I'm going to be talking about emotionally caused depression. So when I'm talking about resolving depression, I'm talking about emotionally caused depression, not the 5 or 10% that's chemical imbalance. Because I'm not a doctor. I can't help a person that's chemically messed up. The doctor has to do that. 
But the question is, who am I as God created me? If I hadn't experienced the pain in my childhood, would I be depressed? The obvious answer is no. So the question is, what causes depression? A person that feels significant is valued, feels loved, is cherished, appreciated, respected, never gets depressed. It's a person that's been emotionally damaged that gets depressed. So if you came from a home where you were praised, encouraged, valued, none of those people get depressed. People only get depressed if they're carrying pain. And what we have to do is we have to understand what is the pain that this person experienced. Now I'm going to go through a series of pain issues that can lead to, the, to uh, depression. The first is abandoned. Often children that are adopted are depressed. They're depressed because they were taken away from their parents. And a child that's taken away from their parents will always feel rejected, will always feel alone. Every child that I've ever had in my office that was adopted will have rejection pain even though they don't remember being adopted out. It's because they were taken away from their original parents. And that's why adopted children have a lot more problems than children that are not adopted. Now, I'm not against adoption. I think parents ought to adopt a child, but the problem is you have to understand you have to compensate for the pain that child has experienced and care about the fact that they were taken away from the person that was supposed to love them. An abandoned person will feel fearful of being left, insecure, feeling alone, will pull away from relationships. What if a person's not loved? They're gonna feel alone, unloved, uncared for, not cherished, unwanted. That can lead to depression. What if a person is rejected? They will feel frustrated, get angry, get depressed, stop talking, socially pulling away, and pull their heart away. What if a person has a parent that has high expectations like we talked about last night? They will be overwhelmed anxious, inadequate, incompetent, to feel stressed. High expectations from another person can cause a person to be depressed. You can have a husband who's a perfectionist putting pressure on his wife and his wife will get depressed because she can't meet his expectations. You can develop depression by dominating another person, manipulating them, um, creating pain in their hearts. You can also create depression by being angry and critical at another person where they feel that it's all their fault, they're blamed, they feel condemned, accused, rejected, and they have negative thoughts inside, can lead to depression. If you spiritually abuse a person, they can become depressed. Uh, we've had a number of seminars in the Amish community, conservative Mennonite communities in the East, and 80% of everyone we counsel in those two groups are depressed over 80%. And the problem is, scripture is taken and used to attack. And emotionally, a person shuts down, they can't pray. When you can't pray, you can't resolve your pain inside. With a result that emotionally, um, 
you're all by yourself in your pain. If a person is sexually abused, and we talked about this last night, many individuals that are sexually abused become depressed because they feel dirty, violated, anxious, destroyed, can't trust, repulsed, forced. Their life has been messed up. Who have I become because of unresolved issues in my life that have led me to depression? Depression is not a core problem. Depression tells me that something went wrong. And as a counselor, as a pastor, as a friend, I want to find out what is that. Because if you take the time to find out the cause of a person's depression, you can knock their depression out. It's my favorite thing to do. To take a person with 99% depression, have them come into my office, go and find their pain, lead them in a prayer, and instead of them being depressed walking out, they're the happiest person in the world. It works. I did it this week with a couple who's not here tonight because they had to work tonight. They were both depressed, focused on their pain. I cared about their hearts, understood the cause of it, led them in a prayer, and they both lost their depression. It's very simple. Now, you know what I would suggest? We empty Prairie View out. We don't need mental hospitals. And the sad thing is Mennonites in every community build a mental hospital for their patients. There's one in Goshen, Indiana. Almost every area where there's Mennonites, there's a mental hospital. The problem is the counselors in those mental hospitals do not understand or care about what's happening inside the heart of those patients. All they do is medicate them and send them home. And the Christian community basically doesn't know, us to, know what to do with depressed people, so we pull away from them and they feel more rejected and they don't know what to do with their depression. Who have I become if I have unresolved depression? A depressed person will be anxious inside. They will be shaking inside because of anxiety. They will turn their anger in and hold pain inside, leading to depression. They will socially pull away. They'll stop going to church. They'll stay in their bedroom for three days. They can't express themselves. They'll pull their heart away. They can't make decisions. Their identity has changed because now that they're depressed, they're not fun to be around and nobody wants to be around them. And often they stop accomplishing tasks. So if a wife is depressed, the dishes are piled for three days. She can't wash the clothes. She just becomes immobile. That's a sign of depression. But what if we resolve depression? What if a person is no longer depressed? Who would they become? What if I was no longer bitter? Who would I become? What if I didn't have negative thoughts? I'm worthless, no one loves me, no one appreciates me. Now a depressed person at 80% will have 40 negative thoughts like that going on inside their heart. And here's a chart, this is page 116 in this blue book if you want to know where to find that chart. But in this 
um, list are a whole list of negative thoughts that depressed people have. This happens to be a lady from Iowa who came in 99% depressed. I asked her if she would give me her list of negative thoughts and she wrote them all down. I asked her if I could put them in my book. She agreed. This is one lady's negative thoughts. She had been damaged by God. She couldn't pray. She emotionally felt rejected by her husband. She felt rejected by everybody. She knew nobody cared about her. The problem was she was depressed and no one had ever taken the time to actually understand and care about her depression. What if I was no longer anxious or fearful? Who would I become? What if I resolved my past emotional pain and its effect on me? What if Jesus cared about the pain that I'm experiencing in my heart? If Jesus cared, and one person cared about that person's pain, their depression would go away. The question is, who have I become because of the pain I've experienced? What I've become is a depressed person, a person that's focused in on their pain and can't love, can't focus to care about another person. Now, how do we solve depression? I'm gonna make it very simple that anybody sitting here with an eighth grade education could help a depressed person to get free. Not complicated, you don't have to have a degree in counseling, but you have to have a heart that cares about another person, that's all that matters. And I'm gonna explain what I mean. There's two things, two questions you need to ask to understand a person's pain. The first is, what didn't they receive that they should have received? Many people's pain, their depression, is caused by something that they didn't receive. If a child was never talked to when they're little, they can become depressed because no one ever paid attention to them. That can lead to depression. Or if a child's not wanted, that can lead to depression. Or a child's rejected, that can lead to depression. It's something that every child should experience but many don't. So the first thing you want to look at, and we often don't look at this, is what didn't they receive that they should have received? The second thing is what pain did they receive that led to their depression? And I just ask people, what triggers your re depression? When someone rejects you, someone's critical of you, someone yells at you, someone shames you, what triggers your depression? When I say that to a depressed person, they'll say, I just get depressed when no one talks to me. I go to church and nobody wants to talk to me. They just defined the cause of depression. When someone doesn't talk to them, they get depressed. Now I mentioned earlier in the week, 90% of what people struggle with is tied in their adult experience is tied to childhood pain. So I go back and you say you get depressed when someone doesn't talk to you at church, when your um, husband doesn't talk to you. I want to ask you a question. Did your dad or mom talk to you? The answer is 90% of the time, no, my dad would never talk to me. I tried to get his attention, but he would never, he never wanted to be around me. Oh, so we have a father that didn't talk. Now we have a husband who doesn't talk. 
Now we're frustrated with people in the church who don't talk. What's the cause of depression? No one's talking to me. It's that simple. Now that's just one of the causes. Usually there are three to four, up to eight causes why people get depressed. And you have to take the time to understand that. What about pain? Let's say that a guy grows up in a home and let's say he's 80% depressed um, and you're wanting to help him and he comes to you and he says, every time my wife criticizes me, I get depressed and I don't talk for three days and I can't get anything done. What's the cause? Criticism is leading to him shutting everything down and self-focusing on his pain. So I ask him, tell me who was critical of you in childhood. And he'll say, my mom was. So your mom is critical of you. Now your wife is critical of you. If someone criticizes you and you make a statement in a board meeting or in a committee meeting, does that bother you? Yeah, it happened last week. How did you know that? Well, it's very simple. A person's pain and what they react to will always repeat itself. So anyone who's critical of a person, if that's leading them to depression, all you have to do is go back. And if they say, my dad was critical here, you're going to figure out that every other person that's critical of them is going to trigger their depression. That's pain. So there's two things you want to look at. What they didn't receive, and secondly, the pain they experienced. Because those two things are critical to understand if you're to understand depression. Now there are seven causes for why people get depressed. And if you're interested in counseling, you want to take these seven down. Number one, emotional pain. That's a primary cause for why people get depressed. Emotional pain is persons neglected, persons rejected, persons sexually abused, physically abused. Any emotional pain can lead to depression. And depression is merely a response to that emotional pain where they're spiraling down and they can't disconnect that pain. Secondly, unresolved spiritual issues. If a person is bitter, angry, prideful, rebellious, um, they can get depressed. Thirdly, unconfessed sin. Often women who've had an abortion get depressed 15 years later. When they were 16 years of age, when they got pregnant and had the abortion, they really didn't know what holding a child really was. They never held a child. But all of a sudden, they get married, then they have a child, and all of a sudden they realize what they did. And every time they look at their little son that's in their arms, they're taken back to this child they aborted. And all of a sudden they get depressed. Why? Because they've sinned. They've taken the life of a child. In Genesis chapter six, or chapter four, verse six, Cain killed his brother Abel. And God said to Cain, if you would have responded properly instead of killing your brother, you wouldn't feel depressed. But because you killed your brother, that actually caused your depression. Now, I'm going to pause here for a minute and take a rabbit trail. 
Whenever a person is hospitalized for depression and they're not rational any longer, often there's a secret they're hiding inside that they can't tell anybody. And when you come from a conservative community where nobody wants to admit that they've ever done anything wrong, they hide it inside. While I was a pastor, a lady um, was having difficulty. She thought everyone was trying to kill her. Nobody was trying to kill her. But she says, people are walking down my sidewalk and they want to kill me. I said, who are these people? She says, I don't know. They just, everybody wants to kill me. She was irrational. An irrational person needs to be put in the hospital and put on medication to bring him back to reality. And I said to her, I said, um, why don't you find a doctor who can help you regulate your medicine? When that medicine is regulated, I'd be glad to help you. So she was put in a hospital for six weeks, a Rafa unit. They had her med uh, medication corrected, uh, her response. Six weeks later, she came into my office and she says, will you help me now? And I said, I'd be glad to. Remember I said, people that, loot, that um, um, start thinking incorrectly, the problem is a secret. I said, um, can you tell me if there's anything that you're hiding that you've never told anybody? She started crying. She said, when I was 17, I got married for six weeks to a guy on drugs. It was a mistake. I wasn't a Christian then. And um, we were married for six weeks. And I finally had to leave because it was way too difficult to live with him, with him being on drugs. So then I went to Bible college and met my husband. And um, he was in an independent Baptist pastor. And uh, he said to her, don't ever tell anybody that you've been married before or I won't be able to be a pastor. So she had to hold a secret inside that she'd been married before and she could never say it to anybody. Her husband got angry with her and she held it inside. So I brought the husband into my office and I said, uh, as long as you allow your wife to keep secrets, she's going to be placed in mental hospitals regularly. Are you interested that she is in a mental hospital or would you be willing to be honest with each other and say, yes, I married a girl who's been married before, it's okay. And he finally realized the problem. That lady's never been in a mental hospital because her husband started understanding and caring about her pain. The worst thing you can do is hide sin because hiding sin, unconfessed sin, can lead to mental issues uh, in a person's life. The fourth cause of depression is stress. You can take any person and put enough stress on them and they'll get depressed. I don't care how strong you are, but if you put enough pressure on any person, every person has a breaking point with stress. Jesus in Matthew 26, 37 and 38, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Amplified Bible translation says, he was severely depressed. Now, not all depression is sin. Please don't tell people you must have sinned, that's why you're depressed. There is depression, if you'll notice on um, two and three. There is sin that causes depression or might cause depression, but stress is not a sin, stress is pressure. 
And pressure can emotionally damage a person where they become depressed, like Jesus did. So be careful that you don't judge people and tell them they're sinful. I've had people that are depressed and the pastor calls them schizophrenic. Well, they're not schizophrenic. Don't put titles on people. Don't even call them bipolar. And I, I scream inside because people come into my office and they say, my doctor says I'm bipolar. All bipolar is is a person who's depressed and disciplined. And a lot of Mennonites are disciplined. That's part of our whole culture. You mix discipline with depression, pain, and you produce bipolar. That's all it is. So why do we put a big title on people? Why don't we simplify it and say, let me help you get your discipline corrected, self-discipline corrected so it's balanced, and let's find your emotional pain, let's resolve it, and you won't be bipolar. What do you think? I have to say to people, let's just throw away that diagnosis. Because in the, in the psychological world, they have to put a title to everybody. And once you have a title, a person will say, I'm bipolar. Sounds like two polar bears um, when you listen to that. No, they're not bipolar. They're a person that needs to be helped, understood, and cared for. But once they're bipolar, they say, I'm going to sit in a chair and watch TV all day because I'm bipolar. I, I'm sick. I, I can't help it. No, that can be resolved. The fifth cause of depression is high expectations you put on yourself or other people put on you. Um, a lot of parents want to produce perfect children and so they put a lot of pressure on them and sometimes those children can't meet their parents' expectations and they feel rejected every day and they feel like they'll never ever please their parents and that can lead to depression. Other people have two perfectionist parents and they become a perfectionist and like we talked about last night and they drive themselves and push themselves and they can't meet the expectations they're putting on themselves and they drop into depression. A sixth cause of depression is unresolved anger. Minrith Meyer make this statement, 100% of everyone hospitalized for depression the cause is unresolved anger. Now I want you to remember that. 100% of clinically depressed people, that means they're struggling so much they have to be put in a hospital, 100% have unresolved anger inside. They can't release their anger. We talked the other night about resolving bitterness. Bitterness often leads to anger. Anger leads to depression. Because when you hold pain inside, what happens is you get angry. That anger leads to depression because we're not resolving issues, we're bottling and holding it in. The seventh cause of depression is 5 to 10% of depression is caused by chemical imbalance, physical problems. Okay? Now, how do we solve this problem called depression. I'd like for you to take your sheet out that you have in front of you and in that sheet you have a list 
of things that happen to a depressed person. A depressed person feels rejected because they've been damaged. That rejection leads to anger turned in or they become frustrated. That leads to depression. That leads to anxiety. They socially pull away. Then they stop talking. Then they pull their heart away. And often they can't make decisions. And finally, they lose their identity, which means we don't know who they are because they can't, um, can't function um, because of their depression. Now, when someone comes into my office, I have a test that identifies all of these issues and anyone who's depressed will go down and have a high score on all of these issues. And I say to them, you don't have eight problems, you have one problem. That problem is rejection. And that rejection, when you have pain hit you, what happens is emotionally you shut down. Now let me give an example. An Amish lady um, was in a seminar like this and she scheduled an appointment with her husband for counseling. I met with her and her husband and she had a depression score at 99%. I had four hours to help her. I said, can you tell me about your childhood? She said, well, I was raised in an Amish community. We spoke uh, low German and uh, I went to a low German school the first year. The second year, my parents placed me in an English school where they spoke English, but I didn't know English. And the teacher talked to me in English, but I didn't know what she was saying. And all the kids called me stupid because I didn't respond. I didn't know what they were saying. So they put me in the back row in the school. And because I was dressed with a head covering and a black dress, the Amish dress, everybody ridiculed me and everybody thought I was stupid. So she was unaccepted, ridiculed, and um, criticized. And I asked her, did your dad or mom ever care about your heart? She says, no, they were both detached. So parents were detached and she married a detached husband. So she had never gotten love a day in her life. She's 50 years of age. And I wrote these over here. And I says, would you be interested in um, getting free from your depression? She says, well, yes, that's why I scheduled for counseling. I said, would you allow me to lead you in a prayer to resolve these four issues in your life? She said, sure, I'll let you do that. Jesus, when I was a little girl, I only knew German. I didn't know English. 
And I was placed in a school where they only spoke English and all the kids laughed at me. And everybody ridiculed me and everyone called me stupid. Jesus, am I stupid? She started crying. Jesus, did you see that little Amish girl in that school? The pain I went through because I didn't know English. I didn't know what they were saying. Can you draw a picture of my heart damaged by what happened to me? And I forget the picture she got. But she got a picture and Jesus, could you heal a little Amish girl's heart? What do you think of children who laugh when I didn't even know what they were talking about? And I walked her through all of that. Jesus, could you heal my heart from that? Jesus, who am I as you made me? I'm depressed, but did you make a little girl depressed? And Jesus prompted who she was as he made her. All of a sudden I saw a huge smile on this Amish lady's face. And she started giggling just like a three-year-old girl or I should say a six-year-old girl. And she couldn't stop giggling. Then I had her husband, after we prayed, look at her eyes and say, can I care about a little girl in the schoolhouse? In the back row, on the side, on the right side. She told me where she sat. And her husband, I, I prompted him. He was Amish, he didn't know what to do with her. I prompted him and says, uh, what if I cared about a little Amish girl in the back row? I bet you I could speak German so she'd understand it. What if I cared about your heart? Every time he cared, she giggled. And all of a sudden, she starts smiling and she couldn't stop smiling. She lost her depression for two reasons. Number one, Jesus healed her pain. The second reason is her husband decided to care about that pain. There are two steps that are very critical to help depression. Somebody has to care and Jesus has to heal. Those are the two steps. And if a person allows me to lead them in those two steps, obviously I can't care about a person because they come to Colorado and they fly home. I have to get a spouse or a friend to care. If you have those two things, you mess up, in this case, 99% depression. I said to the husband, would you like a depressed wife who just sits and stares off into space or would you like a little giggly girl to be married to you? I said, you only have two choices. This is a girl that was there before she went to this English school. She used to be fun. You can have that girl or you can have your depressed wife. Which do you want? He said, I want the fun one. I said, would you give me a little time every day? 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening. I want you to care about a little girl's heart. It takes two months to heal pain. I'm going to use an illustration. My wife had her knee replaced eight weeks ago. If I would have kicked her knee every day in the last eight weeks, she wouldn't be walking today. But because I cared, and I put these stretch stockings on her every day, and I protected her knee, she can walk today. She's there walking. Now, if you kick a person's pain and you laugh at a lady like this and you ridicule her and you don't understand her, she'll never get over her depression. But if you understand why she was depressed, you care about that and you lead her in a prayer, she'll lose her depression. 
You see how simple it is? Now you have to go back and find the cause of depression. Once you find the cause, then you have to lead them to Jesus for Jesus to heal their heart. Now the only method, as I shared the other night, that actually changes people's heart is prayer. You and I will never change a person's heart. Only Jesus can do that. That's why prayer is so critical. And the method of prayer is a little bit different and some people have to get used to it. Instead of saying, God, would you bless this depressed woman? That doesn't help them any. When you lead them in a prayer, Jesus, I was damaged by, you define it. Can you draw a picture of my heart damaged? The reason we do that is it drops them right into their pain. Because if they see a little girl all alone crying in the corner of her room, they're going to start crying because that's their pain. They've been left all alone. Jesus, how would you heal my heart? Do you care about little Amish girls? When I started praying like that, all of a sudden Jesus released all the pain. And the last time her heart was open was when she was in the first grade. And she was a fun-loving, expressive, exuberant Amish girl. And all of a sudden that girl started giggling. And I said to her husband, if you care about her for two months, just like I cared about my wife's knee for two months, you care for two months and you respect that pain and you care about that little girl's heart, her heart's gonna grow up and she's going to be 50 years of age, whatever her adult age was, and her heart's gonna be open and she won't be able to find her depression. Now, and when I talk about not being able to find your depression, a person that's been depressed, it's normal for a person to have a good day, sometimes not so good day, that's normal. But what's not good is when you plummet into your depression and you spiral down, you can't get up. And you go to your bedroom for three days or you don't talk for three days. That's where depression is dysfunctional. But what happens is when a husband cares about a wife who's depressed and he goes to work, she might struggle for a while and come down. He comes back the next evening or that evening, helps her connect with her and care. She comes back up. Pretty soon, about the third or fourth day, she says, why do I go down my depression? My husband's just going to get me up anyway. I might as well stay up. And all of a sudden now she can stay up emotionally uh, and resolve the issues of her own depression. Now, um, what you have to do is you have to figure out, as we show you here, what is the cause? And everybody's cause is going to be different. Now, it takes me about six to nine hours sitting down with a person, understanding the cause of their depression. Because I ask them questions. I have to figure out what triggers it, what really happened. And I have to care about that as a counselor. Then I have to put a prayer together in my mind that I'm going to lead them to actually resolve that in their heart. A depressed person often focuses on themselves and their pain. And a depressed person has difficulty focusing on someone else. They're too focused on their pain. So if you have a husband who's depressed, he's focused on his pain. A wife is focused on her pain. If you have two depressed people over 80%, you have this problem. The husband can't see his wife's need for love. He only sees his pain. A wife can only see her pain, can't notice her husband. 
What happens is two people get depressed and it's like putting two cars in the ditch stuck and you put a chain and say, who's going to pull who out? You can't pull each other out because you're both stuck. So what I do is I show the husband, what if you take your eyes off of yourself, you look at your wife's eyes, and you care about what causes her depression. And then you have the wife look at the husband and you identify what's caused his depression. And 20 minutes every day, you care about each other's hearts. What happens is you can take two depressed people and they can start having fun for the first time in their marriage. I love to do that. Recently, I had two professional counselors who didn't believe what I was doing. So they came into my office and I had four people depressed over 90%, two in the morning, two in the afternoon, both married to each other. And uh, I had to resolve four people that were depressed. One couple, the wife jumped into her husband's lap, she was so excited, and the other one, the wife giggled every time he connected with her. And at the end of the, work, end of the week, all four people lost their depression. The counselors came out, they were all doctorates in psychology. They just shook their head and said, this is crazy. Now it works. Now, I have to be honest, I'm very simplistic. I'm not complicated. You don't have to have a degree, but you have to care. And you have to take time with people to understand how that depression was caused. Now, how does one find the source of a person's depression? You've seen this chart before. At the top, you have a list of the pressure patterns. To find a cause of a person's pressure patterns, you want to ask if they were damaged in any of those ways we talked about last night. But on the left-hand column, were you emotionally damaged in any way? At the bottom, were you abused in any way? On the right-hand side, are there spiritual problems unresolved? And so we check each of those issues. Another way to find a person's pain is to give them the emotional pain word sheet and have them put a zero to ten. I can pretty much, just by using this sheet, find what's causing a person or what's created their pain from their past. Another way is to take the negative thought patterns. If a person says, no one cares, somebody hasn't been loved by somebody. If a person says, I'm just worthless, somebody hasn't valued them. You can take any negative thought and you can take it back to its source and by asking questions you can find out what's causing a person's emotional pain. How does love and understanding destroy depression? If one understands the cause and cares about a person's emotional pain, they will lose their depression if the cause of the depression is emotional. A person cannot stay depressed if someone is caring for their emotional need. So if you identify this person is depressed because they never got attention, if you look in their eyes and give them attention and open your heart to care, they'll lose their depression within five minutes. If the cause is criticism, the opposite of criticism and rejection is acceptance, if you accept them and care about their hearts, they'll lose their depression. I love to play with people this way. They're sitting in my office and they said, I was damaged this way. I have the husband face them, reverse it. He starts talking. All of a sudden, a girl is laughing. She came in depressed. 
Her score is depressed. When I see her laughing, I know she's not depressed anymore. And then I have the husband say, do you realize because I cared about this pain in your past and I valued you, you lost your depression? And I have him say, where's your depression? And she says, I don't know. She starts, oh, maybe under John's desk somewhere. Wonder where my depression went to. I like to play because my office gets pretty heavy sometimes. They can't find their depression. And I say to the husband, do you realize in 10 minutes you messed up her depression? Now, do you want to live with a depressed wife or do you want to live with a fun wife? You only have two choices. If you care about her heart, 10 minutes twice a day, you'll have a fun wife. If you step on her pain that was stepped on in her childhood that caused her to be depressed, you'll have a depressed wife and you only have two choices. If the cause is sin or spiritual, we have to lead them to acknowledge and repent, as we mentioned the other night, in order for them to come to freedom. You might ask, John, where did you get your idea of how to help depressed people? It came from the Bible, and it came from 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah was depressed after the Mount Carmel experience where um, the people um, saw this huge miracle, but they didn't repent. And Elijah became anxious, and he became fearful, and he felt sorry for himself. He withdrew into a cave. He was oversensitive. Everything bothered him. He was in despair and had hopeless feelings. He stopped working. He was angry. He exaggerated the problems and he says, everybody has refused to honor you, God. And God says, no, I still have a number of thousands of people who haven't bowed to need to Baal. He exaggerated the problem. He questioned God's providence and he says, God, would you just take my life? I'd like to die in this cave. I don't want to go on. You can't believe how many people come into my office and they said, John, I've never told anybody, but I'd like to end my life. Christians sitting in churches like this, they've given up so much pain. You know why? Because somebody wasn't caring. Somebody didn't understand. It always bothers me when I hear about someone who's taken their life, that sat in a church every Sunday, because if you look up and down these pews next Sunday, one out of four people will be depressed sitting beside you on any given Sunday. Actually, excuse me, one out of six. One out of four coming into my office, it's probably one out of six on any given Sunday in church. If you see a depressed person, what do we do? We just kind of ignore them because they're not talking. But what if you offered to spend some time with them, understanding their pain and caring. You could mess up their depression and they may become your best friend. What did God do to care for Elijah's depression? First of all, God sent an angel to feed him. I wonder if the angels brought angel food cake, I don't know. Certainly not that. Certainly not that, okay. 
Maybe it was a McDonald's sandwich then. <laughs> Secondly, God asked him what he was experiencing in verse 9. One of the things I do with people is what's happening inside. How have you been damaged? What have you just experienced? What's causing your depression? Everyone says, I don't know, I'm just depressed. So I go and start asking questions and so I can define exactly what's tripping their depression. In verse 10, God accepted Elijah without judging him. Please don't say to a person who's depressed, why don't you bring every thought captive in obedience to Christ? That's what the Bible says, why can't you do that? You know, that's a new method of counseling where you're taking scripture and trying to pressure people to do it. It doesn't work. It just frustrates them and makes them more depressed. If you say, why don't you look at the positive side of life? Quit looking at the negative. Look at the positive. I mean, look at all the children you have that God gave you. Aren't you grateful for them? That just makes them more depressed because, no, they're not grateful. Because they're too depressed. They're focused on their pain. Fourth, God spoke in a still, small voice. It's interesting, in verse 11, a strong wind came, so strong that the rocks broke near the cave that Elijah was in. But the Bible says God didn't speak through the wind that broke the rocks. Then an earthquake came and the whole mountain shook. I'm sure he felt a shake inside the cave, but God never spoke through the earthquake. And then a fire came, but God didn't speak through the fire like he did with Moses. But the fourth, God in a still small voice talked to Elijah. He didn't judge him. He didn't say you shouldn't be depressed, Elijah. What is your problem? You knew I'd protect you from Jezebel. Why can't you trust me? I've proven myself over and over again to you, Elijah. Trust me. Come on. Do it. Or stop it. You know, God didn't say any of that. He spoke in a still, small voice. When I was talking to that Amish lady that I just defined, I cared for a little girl in the second grade who couldn't speak English and was totally confused. And I went back 40 years in her experience to care. And I quietly cared and she started crying. Because nobody had ever understood her pain. No one ever asked her. They just thought she was stupid. And she felt stupid because she was called stupid. The problem is no one had ever understood her care. When you're talking to a depressed person you have to drop into your heart or you'll never help them. It doesn't do any good to be in your head. Because if you say, I'd like to help you with your depression, that's head. No, you want to drop into your heart and care about their pain. When you do that and you seek to understand the cause of their pain and then you lead them to Jesus to resolve the pain, what happens is the depression goes away in 90% of people's depression. The only thing they have to do is be willing to follow you in prayer. But I've had non-Christians follow me in prayer and accept Christ the next day. This works for everyone but monkeys. It doesn't work for monkeys. You can't go to the zoo and lead a monkey in prayer.
But any human being that's rational, you can lead in a prayer, even non-Christians. Because a non-Christian needs to be cared for as much as a Christian. And the only difference between a non-Christian and a Christian is the Christian has the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the only difference. The non-Christian needs God's grace and God's love demonstrated to him as much as the Christian, maybe more so. And the ironic thing is when you care about a non-Christian, they have a tendency to want a relationship with Jesus after you lead him in a prayer. How can an understanding and love for one another change them? Sunday morning I started this series by sharing the fact that when you love a person from your heart genuinely, you mess up their insecurity. Perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4.18. It destroys fear, it destroys anxiety, and it destroys depression. A person cannot be depressed and stay depressed if someone is genuinely caring. Now, if you're fakey caring, it doesn't work. You have to be genuine in your care. And they have to feel you really mean what you're saying when you care about them. So I'd like for you um, to jot down 1 John 4.18 because unless you care genuinely, you're not going to help a depressed person. What are the steps to freedom from depression? First of all, if the cause is emotional, we want to understand, care, and pray. In other words, a person is neglected, a person is um, not cared for properly, and that's why they're depressed. We want to understand, care, and lead them in a prayer to resolve it. If the cause is spiritual, we want to lead them to acknowledge and repent. So if they have sin in their life that hasn't been confessed, we want to help them to repent without judging them. If the cause is sin, we want to confess it. If the cause is stress, we want to identify where the stress is coming from and lead them in a prayer to disconnect the stress. If the cause is expectations, we want to identify the cause and pray. If the cause is anger, we want to find the source of why they're angry. It's usually an emotional pain issue and lead them in a prayer. If the cause is physical, we want to send them to a doctor who can give them a blood test to find out what's causing their depression. How can we care for others who are depressed? First of all, you have to accept them without judging them. Secondly, seek to understand the cause of their depression, care for what they're experiencing, and lead them in a prayer to resolve each of the areas that they need to resolve. In five simple steps, we could eradicate emotionally caused depression. First, identify the cause of their emotional pain that has led to their depression. Secondly, understand how they were damaged and understand their pain. Thirdly, care about their pain. Fourth, lead them in prayer to Jesus to resolve it. And fifth, identify one person who would be willing to regularly care for that person's heart. The question I'd like to raise is who would a person be if they weren't depressed? God did not originally create any of us to be depressed, but circumstances in life have led many people to struggle with depression. And the key is God wants us to feel significant, valued, precious, chosen, loved, accepted, cherished, approved of, appreciated, respected, 
and honored. But many people who are depressed don't feel that way. Now there's different methods that are being used in counseling offices to resolve depression. One method is to keep reminding yourself every day, I am significant, I am special, I am unique, I am created in God's image. And you repeat that and you have to fight that battle every day to try and make yourself intellectually believe that's true. My method is different. You don't fight every morning. That method is putting a band-aid on cancer. The cancer keeps coming back. The method I use is basically this. Here's the heart of a person who's been damaged. Instead of putting truth on the outside of pain, what I want to do is bring God's truth into my pain. So here's my pain that's led to the depression. And we're going to take that pain and we're going to talk to Jesus about my pain. Jesus, I'm depressed today because my father constantly criticized me, constantly put expectations on me that I could never meet, causing me to feel rejected, alone, frustrated. Jesus, what did that do to my heart? And we let the Spirit of God prompt a picture of their heart. Jesus, how would you heal that? Whatever Jesus prompts, into that heart is going to change that heart and instead of them seeing the pain they're going to see the picture that Jesus gave it's not a battle you don't have to remind yourself every morning I am special I am unique what happens is that picture covers that pain and what happens is people's lives are changed now some of you have sat in counseling offices this week as our counselors counseled you and you were led in prayer similar to this. Some of your lives totally changed this week with this method. Because we had a number of counselors here. I'm going to say this. No method in the last 40 years I've seen transforms life like this one does. Because Jesus changes what's happening inside of a person's heart. It doesn't make any difference what the pain is doesn't have to be depression, it can be anything. But this method reverses what's happening in the heart and a person walks out losing 80% of their pain with this method of prayer. And I'm gonna say this, no counselor can take credit to themselves, only Jesus can heal hearts with whatever pain people have. I would like to challenge you, I'm only one person, my schedule's out two years, I can't keep up when I do a seminar like this. I'll get 20 phone calls in my office wanting me to solve depression problems or whatever. And there's no way I can keep up with the schedule. I need somebody to help me. And if I were you and you're available, have some time during the week, would you pray, God, if someone's depressed, I'm available. I'll help someone who's depressed. When I was 35, I was preparing a message and I lost my depression, the majority of it. And I prayed on that Saturday, God, if there's someone in Colorado Springs who's depressed, I'm willing to help them. I never made one phone call. The next week I had 
counseling nonstop from Monday to Saturday noon. I had three messages to, to prepare for Sunday. I hadn't started any of the three. They were all depression people in Colorado Springs. Do you realize God knows everybody that's depressed in Bueller, Hutchison, Inman? And if you make yourselves available, God knows how to put things together. He's smarter than we are. And He can connect you if He wants you to help someone. Because every evening, someone's laying in bed crying, just wishing someone would care for them. They're depressed. They often don't know their problem. They don't know what caused their problem. And no one has taken the time to help them. May I encourage you to be available to Jesus. I don't want you to go look for depressed people. I guess you could find them in some hospital somewhere in a psych ward. I just want you to pray, God, if I can help someone, I'm available. Just put us together. Next Sunday you'll be shocked. All of a sudden one's going to be sitting right beside you. And you say, can I just meet together with you? I just want to care about your heart, what you're struggling with. If every Christian just took one person every three months just to care, we'd eradicate depression in the church. Thank you very much, Mr. we were listening to John and just as he was talking about this I was drawn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in uh, the latter part of the chapter um, Paul's writing he says for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength and then in verse 18 it says for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to those of us who are being saved it is the power of God and what made me think of that when he was telling the story of the, the couples that came in with depression and, and the PhDs and the doctorates and all that watched and they went out and they said, man, this is crazy. It doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to them because they're looking to man's wisdom rather than God's foolishness. They're looking towards man's strength rather than God's weakness. And the answer is right here. It's crazy to the world, but it makes sense to us because we believe and we know the power. I share that with you because as tonight as we prepare to take our last love offering for John, here's another thing the world doesn't understand. This is crazy. He goes and he does everything he does without a charge. And he depends upon the Holy Spirit to provide for him and his family and his counselors so that they can continue to do and serve others in the ministry that God has given them. That don't make sense, but it's happening. We have an opportunity to give uh, to John's uh, ministry and not only to help him for what he's been doing this week, but also that he can bring this to other people and help them set free. So let us go uh, to prayer as we prepare for this last love offering. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this evening that you've given us, and we thank you just for the message that we've heard from you. We come before you, and we just ask, Lord, that as we have an opportunity to give once again, that as we ask every night, we ask that you would just allow us to give out of the generosity of our hearts, but also as a joyful giver, realizing, Lord, that we have an opportunity uh, to give back to you. And 
what we give to you, Lord, will be used to glorify your kingdom, will be used to set people free, and will be used to allow people to understand the power that is through Jesus Christ. Um, and we thank you for that. We praise you for that. So we ask that you would just be with us now as we have this opportunity uh, to give to you. In your name we pray. Amen. As we dismiss you um, for this break, I'm going to give you a little extra time. Um, I know it says uh, we always may go by 15 minutes, but this is the last opportunity to look at John's materials and purchase his materials. Um, if you're interested in that, after this break, the table will be cleaned up and the materials will be put away. So let's come back at, let's say, 8.10, and we will start with the last um, session. So 8.10. Thank you.